Hello all and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly briefing looking at the IT news of the week. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino. I'm an editor at Gestalt IT. Joining me from across an ocean, oh, but always close to my heart, is the one, the only, Tom Hollingsworth from Barcelona. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Rich. Uh, it's a little bit late in the day here, but uh, I can't miss the IT rundown, so I'm going to definitely tune in and help you out with the news today. Absolutely. So we will get it started with a little something we call News or Nah. This is where there might be too many news stories to cover in in-depth discussion, but we want to touch on them and find out if they are newsy or, in fact, naughty. First up here, Google announced uh, that since it rolled out its bug bounty program in 2010, it's paid out more than $21 million to researchers, distributing $6.5 million in 2019 to two to 461 different researchers. That's up 91% since 2018, and the payouts had been hovering around the $3 million mark for the past several years, I think going back to 2016. Android led the bounties with $1.9 million paid, $1 million paid to Chromebugs, $800,000 to Google Play exploits, and $2.1 million across other Google products. I do wonder how much of that uh, potentially went to Google Cloud. I would be interested to see that. The biggest single reward paid out was $201,000, and the maximal po- maximum possible for an extremely severe bug would be $1.5 million. Google's bug bunny program thriving. News or not here, Tom? Turns out when you pay people to find faults in your software, they'll actually find them as opposed to keeping them and using them later. Uh, This is not news to me, honestly. Bug bounty programs work, but the key is that you actually have to pay off the bug bounties. Because if you don't, then people get mad and then they start holding the exploits and selling them themselves. So this kind of follows with the way things go. Any significance that it basically doubled on the year after being kind of stagnant? Yeah, it means that Google can't write good software anymore. (laughs) All right, next up here, uh, speaking of software, Mozilla announced it's moving the Thunderbird email client to a new subsidiary called MZLA Technologies Corporation, which was definitely named by a human. It will remain free and open source, but Mozilla is looking to a corporate model to better monetize the project and pay for development. Thunderbird almost died for lack of funding in develop- and development throughout the mid-2010s. There were revival efforts, and uh, people really came through with donations, basically, to keep it alive in 2016-2017. News or not, nah, though, that it's going corporate here, Tom? Not news. Um, Mozilla is not going to sink money into that if they can't get money out of it, um, and they're competing against Gmail. So they've got to do something. And when you consider that a lot of popular mail clients who have monetized use Thunderbird as their, their uh, base... I mean, I, I would be mad if I was Mozilla. I mean, there's dollars that can be left. Uh, and realistically speaking, when you think about it, this is the move that they were going to have to make because that program isn't going to be able to stay alive on the hopes and prayers and pocket change of other people. So will we see like integrations with third parties that are paying for access, something like that, I'm assuming? Mm, possibly. I think what will end up happening is, is they'll come out with an API model that will require some uh, donation or funding to be able to access some of the more advanced features, or they'll offer some kind of a service offering. I mean, basically go to the app store and look at any popular mail client, and that's what you're going to get is some kind of a, a pay-per-use model. Yeah. Uh, next up here, uh, surprise, surprise, Tom, don't be too shocked by this. I need you to be still your heart, but Google is killing a service. 
The company announced it will start shutting down app maker G Suite's low code environment for building custom business apps, citing the dreaded low usage. The app will be completely dead on January 19th, 2021, so not killing it overnight. Interestingly, Google just acquired AppSheet, a no code development platform for business apps, with plans to integrate that into Google Cloud. Given that context, news or not, and follow up news or not, will AppSheet be dead by 2023? Mm, it'll be dead before that and not really news. I feel like we need to have a sign bite of Idris Elba from Pacific Rim pointing to the back going, restart the clock. Cause that's basically what's going to happen every time Google makes an announcement that they've killed something. Um, okay, great. They made something. Nobody used it. They couldn't figure out a way to monetize it or put ads in it. It's dead. This is the Google business model. I feel like we need to name it that. <laughs> All right. Next up here, long range wide area networking or LoRaWAN. I, I don't like the acronym, but I do like the technology. It's an ultra-low power radio-based protocol for connecting things like IoT sensors, often on battery power, back to an edge site or to the data center. I know Cisco uh, has uh, quite a number of product lines uh, that use that. This integrates two layers of 128-bit encryption to authenticate the device to the network server and against backend applications. But security researchers at IOActive say that the tech is prone to misconfiguration to an almost comical extent. They cited examples like QR codes meant for initial configuration with device IDs and encryption keys left physically on the devices that are, again, are often in public view uh, to things like uh, not taking out uh, encryption keys that were included in open source hardware or open source software that are meant to be kind of taken out when you actually deploy the software and just table stake things like insecure network servers. Human error, news or not here, Tom? I'm going to borrow a quote from my friend Jerry Lemoyne and modify it just a bit. RFC 1925. Fast, cheap, secure. Pick two and only two. <laughs> so it, no, it, what's it, going on here? Is this an example of the technology itself because it is inexpensive uh, and easy to deploy? Is going just going to be prone to these kind of situations? It is if you don't build security in from the start because if it's fast and cheap, and everybody uses it, it's really hard to bolt that on after the fact and hope that it still works the way that it does before when you have to do even more encryption or you have to do other things. So mm, I see hope for this, but I think it's going to take another generation of hardware that's more than capable of doing number crunching things. Because when you think about it, IoT is not going to be able to do a lot of CPU intensive tasks to start with. Yeah, and, and most of these are pretty passive connections where they're just sending information at fixed intervals, things like weather stations, traffic monitoring, that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, finally here, uh, ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott has been on the job since October, coming over from SAP, and is looking to shake up the company. He's announced that the company will focus on developing workflows and digital transformation services for banking and telecommunications vertical, as opposed to just more general offerings for the enterprise at large. They'll be furthering integrations with Deloitte and Accenture, and have already begun acquisitions to better fill out their offerings from chatbots from passage ai to the ai ai ops company loop loom systems excuse me i've always thought of ServiceNow as kind of ift for the enterprise they're just kind of like hey we have all the apis you plug in and we'll kind of be the layer in between all of that is this new focus for ServiceNow news or not tom mm, it's news but only because ServiceNow is probably end up either um, bowing to the whims of a new CEO who wants this to look more like SAP or bowing to the whims of a whole bunch of investors who want it to make money like SAP. Um, ultimately, I think what you're going to find is that this isn't going to work because your traditional customer base is going to bail because you're not supporting them as well as you're supporting others. And the customers that you're trying to get into aren't really going to buy off on it because you don't have a lot of experience in this space. Imagine that. Yeah, I, I imagine this is... Uh... 
yeah, can you can you gain those big new customers fast enough before you start shedding uh, the old ones? Uh, always a, a tricky space to navigate. We will see if ServiceNow, um, again, I, I always think they have a, an interesting idea, cool platform and that kind of stuff. We will see if they can make that shift happen. Uh, coming up here, our first kind of discussion story I thought was really interesting. A new report comes out from the information that Google Cloud is working on a unified messaging app aimed at businesses. This will reportedly integrate email, email from Gmail, online storage from Google Drive, text from uh, Hangouts Chat, which is evidently still a thing, and Hangouts Meet for video calling with Google Calendar hooks built in, although it would still require a dedicated Google Calendar app that was like weirdly explicit. A mobile app is in testing and sources tell the information, quote, G Suite, the G Suite team is almost almost exclusively working on this product with enterprise customers in mind. Just keep in mind that, I mean, I think as we all know, most G Suite users are using the free tier. Google feeling a little Microsoft Teams envy here, Tom? Oh, Lord, please. They're chasing the Slack dollar and the Teams dollar. And uh, I can't even begin to describe how bad of an idea this is. And let's just start with the fact that they're trying to roll more stuff into Hangouts that they're probably not going to keep around for very long. This is what Google's fifth instant messaging platform. Are we on? I, I, I lost count I, a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you've nailed this right over the top of the head. They People who are on G Suite are not on G Suite because they're paying a you know thousands of dollars a month for it. I mean, when you consider that the primary focus is people who are free or people who are in schools who are paying pennies on the dollar for it. I mean, yeah, my kids are going to love this because they can stop using Gchat. But beyond that, nobody cares. And that death clock for this is not only running, it's running fast. I don't see them keeping this around for much longer than 18 months because nobody's going to pay for it. Well, and no one's going to pay for it. But is this a situation? I mean, the reason I cited Microsoft Teams as opposed to Slack is a, a lot of the reason we you know we talk about Teams kind of really taking off is because like, all right, this thing we're already using, there are G Suite enterprise users out there, admittedly, again, pales in comparison, probably Office 365 uh, uh, or to the free users of G Suite itself. But there, there are those users out there. There are education customers. There are people that use this, uh, uh, that pay to use G Suite, right? Uh, and if they put this in their quiver out there, I guess the argument against that uh, of being kind of that Microsoft Teams, hey, it's there, we might as well use it, is they've had Hangouts there. They've had Hangouts Chat integrated into G Suite. You could have used it at any time. And, you know, I, give, I like to give Hangouts a lot of junk because it's a confusing product and I actually don't know, like, what the difference between chat and Hangouts Meet and Hangouts Chat. It's, it's all very confusing or what old school Hangouts used to be, but... There, there is like a, a decent bones on that chat app, right? It's a functional chat app that you could be using right now if you really wanted to as a G Suite user. Yes, integrating, you know, kind of being that, uh, you know, hey, let's call it a single pane of glass for all of your Google services within G Suite. Um, I, I can understand the logic of being like, hey, this is literally what Microsoft is doing. Why don't we do this uh, and, and try and pick up some usage that way, and then maybe leverage that into being the thing that you're buying as opposed to all of these separate products. But yeah, Google has done such damage to that Hangouts brand. Um, it, you know, whether it had any uh, a lot of value to begin with or not, there's just so much brand confusion around that, and so much justified fear that they will immediately kill this if you adopt it. That I, I think it's a real uphill battle. And honestly, go back to the conversation we had during news or not. If they can't figure out how to mine your information from it or sell ads on it, it's dead. They will go. They will move away from it in an instant, even if you're paying for it, because the the peanuts that you're paying to get in there 
aren't nearly as much as the the you know large peanuts that Google wants to pull away from it by selling your information. And no one's going to trust Google with that information. They're going to want something that's secure or at the very least non-invasive. And Google doesn't know how to make that software anymore. <laughs> seemingly, uh, seemingly correct. We will see if this ever sees the light of day. Supposedly, Thomas Curian has been, uh, uh, you know, in on the testing of this. So we will see uh, if at I.O. or something like that, we will see uh, an announcement or something along those lines. I will think it's interesting if they don't tie it to strictly to an enterprise use case, right? If they make it free for any G Suite user to use, you know, that quote, I think, is is very interesting that they're they're focused on the enterprise there. If it's free to use... Uh, and you can put it directly against Slack. Um, again, I, I don't think it'll be an overnight success. Maybe there's a, a longer term play there to win some mindshare or something like that. At least undo the damage that they've done to that Hangouts brand. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, next up here, the UK's Department for Culture, Media and Sport, uh, my favorite department in the UK and the National Cybersecurity Center, recently proposed measures to deal with consumer IoT security hellscape. They would require all Internet connected device passwords on consumer devices to be unique and not offer a stock password factory reset option, basically so you don't reset it to a known value that someone could exploit later. IoT manufacturers would also have to provide a public point of contact so that anyone can report a vulnerability and be required to provide a timely response. Finally, devices would have to explicitly have a stated minimum length of support time for things like security updates from the point of last sale. Tom, does this go far enough to provide meaningful consumer protections for IoT? No. And I'll tell you why, because all of the things that it's doing are required are predicated on one thing. The company that sold you the device is still in business. The problem that we have is not the devices are being expired. I mean, look at the flap with Sonos that happened this last week. They announced that Sonos isn't getting any more updates. They didn't say they're end of life in the devices. They just said we're not getting any more updates for these old devices, which, by the way, I understand is because they moved chipset manufacturers when they went to the new one. And the old chipset manufacturer locked them out of the architecture diagram. So they really don't know how to write software for that architecture anymore. But that's beside the point. You look at the number of companies like, I don't know, Juicero, for example. Um, Juicero's didn't go out of business. Or Juicero's aren't supported anymore because Juicero decided they didn't like the platform. They aren't making any money. So I'm not worried about IoT security from a company that is, you know, still making the the stuff. I mean, yeah, if you beat Sonos hard enough, they're going to release software updates, even if they're security patches. I'm worried about what happens when flybynightspeakercompany.org releases a speaker that everybody adopts, and then they go out of business 18 months from now because nobody wants to pay for the thing or nobody wants to buy another one. And then guess what? It's abandonware. So that's where the real damage is coming from. So I will say this. If the the regulation, I think that last point is particularly interesting, you know, guaranteeing uh, a life of support after the last point of sale or something like that. If the if the regulations have some sort of teeth, essentially where you have to have some sort of to, to put an IoT device on the market, you have to have like demonstrate that you have funds in escrow to pay for some sort of support or something like that to to put some financial stakes on bringing a product to market. One of the side effects, I think, of that would be it would crowd out the the companies that are going, I'm going on Alibaba, I'm going to buy a bunch of white box 
uh, smart cameras and I'm going to slap my label on them and hey, I'm going to sell them and then we'll shut down services six months later or something like that. Um, and, and I'll make a bunch of money, you know, uh, off of an exchange rate uh, decimal point move or something like that. So I, I think if you can crowd out those companies that, you know, and I'm not saying that's good for the market. I'm not saying less competition is necessarily good for the market, although with IoT, I'm more prone to, <laughs> I, I, I'm okay if there's like five big players as opposed to a hundred tiny little players. Um, I, I think if you can use that as a cudgel to narrow down the potential market, then that issue of, you know, this company might not be around, it becomes uh, uh, less obvious, maybe. But I guess the point is, hey, if Google decides Google Home isn't worth it tomorrow, and all of a sudden, all your your home speakers and everything like that are are kind of DOA, um, that, you know, I mean, Google is not going out of business, I guess that's, that's not a great example. But, um, you know, that last point, I think was particularly important in those regulations. Admittedly, these are proposed rules, we don't know if these will actually see the light of day. Yeah, this is saying Rich proposes we kill Kickstarter because they don't know how to fund their projects. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe I am saying that. Although I was looking at a a kickstarted instant camera today, so I am also a fool as well. Uh, next up here, uh, not in the happiest of news, but if you were on IT Twitter in the last day or two, it will come as no surprise that VMware announced uh, its seemingly annual layoffs, reportedly affecting uh, well over 200 people. This comes after the company announced about 150 employees were laid off from, I'm sorry, it was reported that they laid off 150 employees from their pivotal acquisition uh, last month. The layoffs seem to have hit the vSAN inside sales team particularly hard. Uh, VMware does employ t- over 20,000 people worldwide. So by percentage, this is not exactly a huge layoff, but I think, you know, Tom is some, p- two people that are connected to this community. Uh, it, it seemed to be, uh, to be being heard loud and clear that these layoffs were taking place based on what you saw, Tom, does this seem to be perhaps a structural shift for the company? Uh, you know, just kind of, uh, cleaning up maybe, uh, uh, uh you know, j- redundant jobs or something like that, or is this, uh, something else, another shift for the company? This is a different shift for the company. I mean, first of all, it happens right before the end of their fiscal year. So that's not an accident. Second of all, the teams that got cut were pretty focused. I mean, I've heard the inside sales team for vSAN was gone. I've heard that a lot of people in the EUC business got cut. Um, I'm hearing rumors that there's some rumblings about some consolidation, some focus changes. And, you know, basically, you don't cut these people unless these people wouldn't have had a job next month anyway. Um Personally, from my own taste, um, I'm, I'm going to climb up on my soapbox here a little bit. Um, I, I have a lot of friends who work at VMware. I have a lot of friends who are heavily involved in a lot of the great products that VMware puts on. Um, funny enough, they're all grunts. They work in the trenches. They get the stuff done. They build the technology. I didn't see a lot of managers getting laid off or sent to other jobs. Um, there's a little bit of a reorg maybe going on. But ultimately, the problem is, is that you have to sometimes draw a big line in the sand and stop reporting to people who live their life three months at a time. I'm sorry, Wall Street investors. If you're watching this, you guys are greedy jerks. Sometimes it takes more than six months to build a new product. Sometimes it takes more than a year for a product to turn a profit. Sometimes you need to invest in a company and hold your funds there and hope that you will make money at it. Because if you think you can just swoop in, invest your money, nine months later, pull it out, make, what, 2% on it, and then go do it somewhere else, you are the greedy vultures that are killing our industry. Stop it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence uh, that, uh, you know, we, we saw a, uh, a resurgence in Dell after going private. Uh, I mean, admittedly, like, public companies... 
I, I don't want to say there there are no benefits there. I mean, you get a, a transparency and a visibility as both a consumer and investor um, into the operation of the company. There's there's well, as a private company, you have absolutely no transparency. So there there's always that trade off. But yeah, I, I do agree that 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 three month window where it's like we need that return, we need to see that growth. It needs to be and and the growth needs to be growing year over year and that kind of stuff puts weird pressures that aren't necessarily great for. Uh, uh, not even long-term viability of the company, but like a long-term ecosystem, right? Um, so yeah, yeah it, it's uh, it's distressing to see. And if uh, you know anyone that needs a uh, network engineer, uh, just uh, check out Twitter. Uh, there's a lot of good people out there that are uh, looking for some jobs. Uh, next up, here- yeah. Let me just say that I, I I do believe in Pat Gelsinger, and I do believe in his strategy. I don't think that chasing the dollar and the investors is going to be a long-term payoff. Next up here, uh, Tom, you're out in Cisco Live Europe uh, and uh, in Barcelona, like we said at the top of the show. Um, and there was an interesting announcement coming out regarding uh, WebEx. Cisco bought an AI startup called uh, Voicera or Voice Voisa, Voicera. Here we go. Uh, and uh, about six months ago, we actually talked about it on the show quite a bit and kind of the potential for that. And now Cisco is rolling out its first integration of their IP. The company announced that the WebEx assistant will now be able to assist with things like translation, closed captioning, and transcriptions. Users can ask the assistant to highlight certain portions of a meeting or create action items just directly from within the WebEx. Cisco also announced that voice... Uh, integration with Google Cloud's contact center AI, which can now do transcription as well, and also things like call summaries and sync with CRM systems, which I think is actually kind of cool. Not enough for your WebEx to be a dumb call pipe anymore, Tom, or is Cisco gilding the lily here? No, Cisco's building on something here with WebEx. I mean, AI is kind of the way that all chatbots are going and they're building on things. And this is kind of a, a start of like an AI ops platform. Um, I could imagine like this being some kind of a dial-in system where the uh, chat program can allow you to start looking up information about a client account or even starting to file troubleshooting tickets. Um, we see saw We saw some of that here in some of the security platform stuff. Ultimately, when you think about doing the job that you see people have to do on a daily basis, especially when you're in an environment where you're like doing inbound customer service, the more information you have at your fingertips as fast as you can get it, the better your customer satisfaction rates are going to go up. And these are the kinds of things that I think ultimately are going to succeed on the WebEx platform. You know, we, we talked just a little bit ago about Google trying to offer the bottom dollar competitor for, you know, Spark or uh, Slack or Teams. And here's Cisco on the enterprise side trying to build in as much intelligence as they can into the platform. I'm not saying that that WebEx is going to take over the world or or take you know be the the end all be all, but for the kinds of places that you need this kind of software intelligence, it's definitely going to beat the pants off of its competitors. Yeah, and I also think there's an interesting idea of using WebEx as kind of a testbed or a dog fooding platform if you're going to build out you know for maybe a further AOPS service, and you can demonstrate that hey, it's successful on WebEx. This is used by you know we have we have this huge install base. If we can handle that, we can handle whatever you want to plug into maybe this backend that we're going to offer as a service or something like that. I could also see that being uh, a really useful as well, and then also using that to improve the service. You know, kind of being a positive feedback loop on that as well. All right. And finally, uh, Tom, uh, other Cisco thoughts, you know, you're, like I said, you're in uh, beautiful Barcelona. You have tiny cups of coffee that baffle me. Uh, and, uh, to be quite honest, are uh, slightly frightening. Um, so wh- what's kind of been the major theme of the show and are there any other announcements maybe that, uh, that we didn't talk about? I'd love to know your thoughts. So, um, the funny thing about Cisco Live Europe this year, there weren't any really big announcements like we've seen in years past. Um, I feel like it was a lot of, um, positioning and policy. 
Mm-hmm. So things like uh, intent-based networking was really big. They, they spent a lot of time on that in the keynote. Um, talking a little bit more about AI and some integration pieces. Uh, cloud strategy continues to develop. Uh, we talked a little bit with the Intersight team. They had a new program or a new platform that came out, uh, Intersight Workload Optimizer, which looks like some of the companies that we've seen at Tech Field Day in the past, um, kind of building towards something with that. Uh, you know, then of course it's it wouldn't be Cisco Live if we didn't have some hot new hardware, especially on the service provider side. I think ultimately there's this is a refining period for Cisco. They want to make their stuff a little faster, a little bit better but they're building towards something. And you, you kind of got the feeling when you talked a lot to, to the people who were here, um, there was a hint that maybe two, three months from now, we're going to see some bigger announcements uh, kind of leading up to Cisco Live US. Uh, a lot of roadmap discussion, but it was kind of hushed and in the corner. So I'm very curious to see where some of the platforms that we heard about at Cisco, at Tech Build Extra uh, here kind of build. Uh, I'm hoping they build to a good spot. I mean, the company that we know as Cisco is definitely not the 800-pound hardware gorilla that we've seen before. And I know that we we constantly talk about Chuck Robbins kind of turning the ship and kind of making making some sense out of Cisco's software future. I, I just hope that when they finish turning the ship that they're steaming in the right direction because it would be very easy for them to kind of go off to a little bit of a tangent mm-hmm. because they think that's where their customers want them to go. But if they don't listen to what their customers actually want, that could be a problem because another course correction could take longer than they've got. Yeah, uh, that's kind of been what I've been seeing from afar, just in terms of trying to gather uh, – some of the sources for the show today, not seeing like that, you know, that that big uh, uh, splash on the register or anything like that. But interesting that, you know, yeah, getting signals about where the company is going, I think uh, – we will see more uh, as, uh, you know, I, that's the benefit, I guess, of having two gigantic uh, uh, customer or trade shows uh, throughout the year is you can kind of slow roll this and kind of set the table for a lot of stuff. Uh, really interested to see uh, more or to hear more in their investment in intent-based networking. I know uh, right when I first started uh, with Gestalt IT, that was kind of blowing up in the startup space and seeing that fully getting uh, kind of swallowed up and, and uh, uh, productized uh, by Cisco means uh, uh, not that it needed validation, but hey, if Cisco's talking about it. It must be a thing. I think that'll bring us uh, just about to the end of the rundown. But Tom, where can people find more of your great stuff if they are so inclined? So you can always find me on Twitter as at Networking Nerd. My blog's at networkingnerd.net. Again, go over to gestaltit.com. I think I just published a piece today on some of the coverage from Networking Field Day last year. And uh, we got some more great stuff coming your way. And then, of course, we'll have coverage of Tech Field Day Extra at Cisco Live Europe uh, coming up very soon. All right, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Mr. Anthropology. You can find my writing at gestaltit.com. And you can find us back here every Wednesday at 1230 p.m. Eastern Time, running down the IT News of the Week. That's just about it for us, uh, for myself, for Tom Hollingsworth, for everyone here at the Gestalt IT family. Here's wishing you and yours to have a super sparkly day.